We are in this series, as CJ, Pastor CJ said, in this series called Breaking the Idols of Our Hearts. And, and I just want to thank you guys so much for... Um, some of you have been communicating back to us as a staff, you know, for prayer and, and just things like that. And how God has, has spoken to you through this series. How God has really challenged you. How God has, has uh, illuminated some things within your life where you're saying, you know what, I, I think I've got some idols here. I've got an idol that God's really wanting to address within my, within my heart. And... And I just want to thank you for, for being honest and open, and, and most of all, for allowing the Spirit of God to, to uh, challenge you, to quicken your spirit, and, to, and, and that you're giving Him vulnerability and transparency within your life. And so I just ask that you would continue to uh, engage with us and let us know how we can pray for you and how we can even celebrate with you as God is, is shaping you and molding you. Um, today we're going to look at yet another idol, and um, first of all, though, I, wanna, I want to uh, read some words here, and I want... Tell me if you recognize these words and where they came from. It says, the power of love is a curious thing. Make one man weep, make another man sing. Change a hawk to a little white dove. More than a feeling, that's the power of love. Anybody? Absolutely. All you 80s people out there. I want some response because I tell you what, each service it was like, oh, come on, man. Where are the 80s people at? You know? You don't need money, don't take fame, don't need a credit card to ride this train. It's strong and it's sudden, it's cruel sometimes, but it just might save your life. That's the power of love, that's the power of love. How many of you remember uh, being engaged or know about the power of love? It does crazy things to us at times, doesn't it? it uh, you know, for us that are guys, uh, it makes us stalkers, you know? It makes us brush our teeth, it makes us uh, dress up a little bit at times, it makes, it makes us a little bit more refined. It's amazing how love can take a guy and just mature us uh, into something that, that uh, a lot of us would say, really? You know, I didn't, I didn't picture that guy being that mature. And so, you know, we'll dress up, we'll act a part. Okay, guys, seriously, how many of you wrote poetry back in the day? Anybody? Got some back there. There we go. I like Keith, all sheepish there. Like, yeah, it was me, you know. Uh, you know, it, women, you're like the birds that have, you know, the birds when you watch Nature's Channel, you know, and, it's, and, they, and they put out their feathers and they keep going, the feathers keep going and going and going. And it's like, hey, look at me, look at me. And let's go back to the 80s. Remember the hairdos in the 80s? It's kind of like the feathers. It was like, hey, look how high I got this one out there. Remember the, remember the hairdos in the 80s? That was why I had the, remember the feather look? I had the feather look, you know, had, I, it was quite cool, yeah. I didn't hear a thing, so I'm going to continue on here. But, you know, the power of love, it can really do some crazy things. It can make us do some, uh, some things that you're like, wow, you know. And, uh, and so today we want to talk about that. And, and, and essentially, the power of love can make us uh, do things such as making someone that we love an idol. And today I want to look at, I want to talk about that. And I want to look at um, a particular story within the, within the Bible in the Old Testament and uh, draw upon this story to see how this can really take place. Remember, idols can be possessions, they can be pleasures, they can be uh, things that, uh, pursuits, people, anything. Idol, we can make anything an idol. An idol, uh, the, the working definition that we've been using is, uh, if something really captivates your mind, it really captivates your creative energy, it really demands your whole thought process, I mean, it really just takes over and consumes you, chances are you have an idol within your life. But remember, and this is key, remember, like we talked about last week, idols can be like the surface level thing, 
But what we really want to take a critical look at is that, um, that it's never enough to just identify the idols in our lives. We must really take a critical look at it and say, what need am I looking for this idol to fulfill instead of God? Because that's what an idol is. An idol is, with, is anything that could be good, it could be bad. It's anything that we take and we place it in a position where, and give it God-like attributes where, we're, where we look at it and we're saying, man, this thing, if I just give it enough time or whatever it is, it's going to provide me security. It's going to provide me sustenance. It's going to pro- provide me significance and things like that. And idolatry is always the sin beneath the sin. That is very critical that we understand it. It's the sin beneath the sin. Are we looking to, in this particular uh, context for today, are we looking to uh, someone or some person to fulfill what only God can fulfill within our lives? Now, this is very, this can hit many of us in here today. And so we want to look at this today. uh, And I want to look at a biblical account of this relational idolatry and how this crazy thing called love really pushed these two individuals to do some things that were, uh, again, crazy. So if you would turn with me to Genesis. Uh, chapter, there's a passage of scripture I'm going to read. It's right around, you can, you can turn to chapter 29. But I'm going to set up this whole story, okay, before we even get to 29. It actually starts back 24, 25 in that particular area. Let me set the scene for you. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham the son of Isaac, and the twin brother of Esau. Okay, before Jacob and Esau were born, God told uh, their mother, uh, Rebekah, that, the, that she was literally, they were twins, Esau and Jacob, and she was carrying around two nations within her womb. And one was going to be stronger than the other. God said that the younger would, uh, would uh, take, or the older one would serve the younger. And so when the birth, uh, when it happened, Esau came out first, and Jacob came out second, holding on to the heel of Esau. Jacob the younger couldn't have been more different from his brother. When we read about Esau in Genesis chapter 25, 27, we, we see that Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field. field okay? This dude smelled like outside, okay, as we're later going to see. He was very ruddy. He was hairy. He, was, he drove a truck probably and listened to country music, okay? He was a... He was a burly dude, all right? He was, he was outside. He, he was, uh, you know, he'd be on the field, you know, on the cover of Field and Stream or something like that, and he probably represented NRA. So, I don't know. Something like that, okay? He was, he, was, uh, he was an outdoorsman. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, was what we would call softy, okay? He wasn't in the outside so much. He was in the inside with his, with, he was a mama's boy, okay? Uh, Esau, Isaac, uh, he was, he was daddy's boy. They were outside. They had this, this, uh, and again, when we see, when we look at this whole family, we see some dysfunction from the get-go, okay? Um, Isaac and uh, Esau had this relationship, father and son relationship that kind of squeezed out uh, Jacob. Jacob was a mama's boy. Jacob and, and his mom, Rebecca, had, had a, um, had a relationship there, you know, so it was already kind of fractured in a sense. And so here you have, uh, you're, they're just two individuals uh, polar apart. Genesis chapter 22 to 20, uh, 26 to 27, we realize that Jacob started living up to his name. Now, how many of you know what the name Jacob really means? Deceiver, absolutely. So what happened was, Jacob deceives his brother Esau for, for his birthright, 
Okay? Remember, the oldest one got the birthright, and in these, time, in these days, in this culture, it meant everything. Esau came in from the fields one day. He was really hungry, and Jacob, uh, uh, being uh, very much a deceiver, deceives him for his birthright. And so when it, came to, when it came down to it, when Isaac, their father, was dying and was uh, losing his eyesight and all this stuff, his mother, Rebekah, went to Jacob and said, uh, let's, let's make sure that you get this birthright that you, I mean, she kind of played along with this whole thing and, and she made him kind of smell it says that she put goat's hair on him to make him hairy so that when Isaac would reach out and touch and even smell, but would touch, touch Jacob, he felt the hair. So he just assumed that it was Esau. And so Jacob or Isaac blessed, uh, Jacob and gave Jacob, uh, Esau's birthright, which, did not go well with Esau, even though he was already tricked out of his birthright to begin with. And so what happened was uh, Isaac said, "Okay, you got to get out of here, Jacob, because Esau put a death threat on or, uh, Esau put a death threat on Jacob's life." And so then Jacob's on the run now, and he goes and he goes to where his mother was from, and it's in the in the uh, land of Laban is the guy's name. And so in chapter twenty six thirty four we see that Esau was a little bit older here. Um, you know, actually when he was 40 years old, Esau was already married and had multiple wives. Jacob, on the other hand, when he flees the wrath of Esau, his brother, and goes to Haran to get married for the very first time he leaves home, he's 70 years old. How would you like to have a 70-year-old son still living with you? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Now you're going to say, well, they lived a little bit older during those days. Yeah, but you're still talking someone that was in their 50s or so. I mean, you know, 40s or 50s. I mean, the, 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 it's, 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 you know, kind of, it's an issue. Let's put it that way. It's an issue. And so he leaves and he goes and um, he goes out to a land that's, uh, that's that where his mom was from and, and by the guy of the name of Laban. And so he comes up on this well and, it's, and he asks these other guys if this is Laban's territory. And they say, yes. And by the way, his daughter Rachel is coming now with the sheep to water the sheep. And so... Jacob sees Rachel and it's all over, man. Power of love just kicks in. He is like he's like fixed on Rachel. He goes over in his 70-year-old age and removes the stone from the well so that she could uh, 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 bring water for her sheep. And so now, now Jacob is just fixated on this uh, on, on Rachel. And it's one of those uh, you know Hollywood moments that takes place. And so what happens is Jacob goes to her father, uh, Laban. And we find out that her father had, in this particular context, had two daughters, one of them being Leah, the other one Rachel. Leah was the older one, Rachel was the youngest one. The Bible tells us that Leah's eyes were weak, while Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And, it se- and again, Jacob had first love, uh, you know, first, uh, it was love at first sight. Uh, and J- Jacob could only think of one thing, and that was Rachel. So he offered Laban seven years of work to marry Rachel. And remember, this would be this would be uh, he didn't have a dowry, which is what they you know. Oh, I'm going to give you a cow and two sheep for your daughter, whatever you know. He didn't have that, so he said, "I'm going to give you seven years of work," which was about four times customary uh, of this situation. So he wasn't really prepared, but he's willing to pay the price. So seven years goes by, flies by, because he's just so infatuated with Rachel. And as as that goes by, he uh, goes to Laban. And I'm just going to put it straight out there to you guys. He goes to Laban, and in, 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 the, in the way the Word of God, uh, the Bible tells it, it says, my, he says, my time is completed, and I want to lie with her. Okay, he goes to Laban, and he says, my time is complete, I want to lie with your daughter. There's, that is offensive, about as offensive as us in our culture today, guys, 
someone coming to you to ask your daughter's hand in marriage and says, hey, I want to sleep with your daughter. That sounds pretty offensive, doesn't it? But that's how much Jacob was uh, somewhat offensive, but yet he was so much in love with Rachel, he says, you know, I'm ready to, to marry her. Uh, Tim Keller, in the book Counterfeit Gods, as we've been talking about, uh, says this. Uh, he says that Jacob is overwhelmed with the thoughts of Rachel because his life is empty. He'd never experienced love like this before in his life. He, was, he didn't get it from home. He had this dysfunctional relationship probably with his mom or whatever, but he didn't get love from his father. There was this, this you know, and now his brother has, a, like I said, a death threat against him. And Genesis 25, 28 says his father Isaac loved Esau. And Jacob never had his father's love. He would never see his mother alive again. He would never be able to go back to his homeland because, because Esau was there and would literally uh, would, would kill him. And so essentially what, we're, what this is saying is this. If he could just have Rachel, this is where he starts setting Rachel, a person up, as an idol. If he could just have Rachel, he was convinced that this emptiness that he had within his life would be, would be met. This significance that he was looking for, this worth, this self-worth, all this stuff that he thought that he could, that he could um, uh, attain from just getting Rachel and getting her love, uh, it would fill, fulfill all of his hopes and all of his dreams. She would fix it all. She would become his particular idol. Now, Richard Keyes in his essay of the Idol Factory says this. He says an idol is anything within creation that we elevate to the function as our God. And this is exactly what Jacob did to Rachel. He used Rachel essentially as a God substitute. And when we substitute the one we love in God's place, what we're doing is this, guys. We are placing this unbearable burden on some other human to fulfill something that only God can do. I mean, we're setting this, we're setting everything up for failure. When we place someone or something at the level, and in particular in this context, someone, a relationship, someone that you truly love, uh, regardless, when we place someone at that level, we're saying, I'm, you know, we put them on a pedestal and we, and we just look for them to provide us with that self-significance, that sense of self-worth, that sense of whatever it may be. We are really placing on that individual an unbearable burden that says, you've got to be God. And I'm going to look to you to get what I need to be the person that I have been lacking my whole life. Now produce. And essentially what it's doing, it kills the person, it kills two people, them and us. And so this is exactly what uh, Jacob was doing. But just when Jacob thought that he got everything that he wanted, um, Laban gathered everyone together for the wedding feast, and in the evening time, he brought Leah instead of Rachel. Now, for some reason, Jacob didn't see this. He didn't see that it was Leah. He didn't see that he was being deceived. Whether it be, uh, you know, in those times they wore the veils that you couldn't really see through. Uh, it's kind of a comical story in a sense. But, uh, he, you know, whether it be because he was dark or old. The guy's old. Maybe his vision was starting to go. To go. And whatever it is, whatever it was, he ends up marrying Leah instead of Rachel. And, and, and we read about this story. It says that Jacob and Leah consummated their marriage. And when morning came, Jacob opened his eyes and staring back at him was this weak-eyed Leah. Now, can you imagine what this dude would have done? He, I, I can just picture him just being in shock and running out of his tent all wrapped up in a blanket with his hair disheveled like, what in the world just happened here? You know what I'm saying? So he's married to, he's married to Leah now and he goes to Laban and he's like, what have you done? I mean, you've tricked me. What have you done? Tim Keller would go on to say this. That here 
in this exchange for Leah and Rachel is what we see uh, is this is the fact that no matter what we put our hopes in in the morning, it's always Leah and never Rachel. Does that make sense? Anytime we put an idol out there like that, in a sense, what he's saying is we, we, we get a Leah and we get, and, and when we wanted a Rachel. And that's what an idol always does for us. It never produces what we think it can produce. It never can produce uh, the, 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 or give in return what we think it's going to give in return. And so in this particular uh, situation, it's the delusion to think that we can substitute someone or something for God and that it would thoroughly satisfy our greatest needs. It's always Leah and never Rachel. Now, Laban, after he's confronted, he says, you know what? It's customary in our tradition that the older one gets married first before the younger one. And so Jacob works out this deal that he's going to, he's going to work another seven years uh, to get Rachel. And so that's what happens. So essentially he works 14 years of, of wages to marry the one he really wanted to marry. But Jacob, and this is where it's really interesting, guys. And this is where I really want to spend some time focusing Jacob wasn't the only one who was doing the crazy things for love, okay? He wasn't the only one getting caught up in this whole concept of the power of love and crazy things for, loves, for, for love. And guys, when we think about this, you know, put, put ourselves in this context. Have you ever had to live in the shadow of someone else, like maybe one of your siblings? Maybe some of you grew up in that type of context. This is exactly what Leah grew up in. She had a younger sister. Her younger sister always got the attention. Her younger sister was always better looking. Her younger sister was always loved by her parents more because she got better grades and she was better at sports. And it was Marsha, 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 right? I mean, I wonder how many of us in here this morning, if we said, I swear that's exactly how I grew up. I mean, I wonder how many of us can be honest with that. You know, and so Leah was experiencing the same thing. She was convinced that, that you know, she wasn't, Nothing really, I mean, nothing ever went her way. So, not only do we have Jacob that's doing this whole idol concept of, of, of looking for, or making, making a relationship idolatry, but now we're seeing that Leah is doing the same thing with Jacob. You know, Leah's in this whole concept of living, uh, you know, in the shadow of her sister. Now, her and her sister are married to the same guy. But there was a bigger problem here. He didn't even love her. Jacob never loved Leah. Jacob always loved Rachel. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for Leah? Now, let's go to the Word of God here and read a passage of Scripture found in Genesis 29, verses 31 through 35. And let's take a look at Leah, how Leah uh, was doing the same thing that Jacob was doing. It says this, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, and Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. She named him Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel feel affection for me, since since I have given him three sons. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son, and she named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord, and then she stopped having children. Do you see what's happening here? This is the same thing that Jacob's doing with Rachel. Leah's looking to Jacob, and she's saying, Man, if I could just get his love, I will 
I mean, I have lived my whole life under the shadow of Rachel, and now I've got this opportunity that I can be somebody and that I can feel, I can feel, have a worth, a sense of self, self significance, and all of that. And if I could just give Jacob a son, I would be, it would be, it would be golden. This would secure it. And so now what she's doing is, She's starting to put Jacob on a pedestal to say, if I can just make him happy, he's going to love me more than, he is, than he's going to love my sister. And lo and behold, what happens? She gives birth. Rachel can't give, give Jacob any, any uh, children. And in this particular uh, day and age, in this culture, it was everything to, for a woman to be able to give her husband a son. And so here in this particular situation, we see that's exactly what starts, what starts happening and taking place. She, uh, uh, she starts giving uh, birth to, to some children. And so she says, you know, it, again, this would fix everything. And she's looking for the same significance that Jacob was in, uh, in, in Rachel. But unlike Jacob, something happened. Something happened in Leah that was different than Jacob. In, in all of these kids that she has, and remember, when we read about these kids, the, the, these, these, uh, these uh, sons that she was given... Uh, Jacob, their names literally meant what, you know, essentially what they described here in the, in the Bible. She has Reuben, which means the Lord has noticed my misery. And she's thinking, finally, everything's going to work out. And so she gives Jacob Reuben. And then she has another son by the name of Simeon. And then she has another one by the name of Levi. And every single one of them, she's saying, Finally, this, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Jacob is going to finally love me. I am finally going to have my sense of self-worth. I'm finally going to feel as if somebody loves me. But in every, situ- in every situation, it didn't take place. Jacob didn't love her. But then something happens on her last child. Something takes place and happens. And she gives birth to, to a child and she names him Judah. And Judah's name literally means... This time, I will praise the Lord. There was a shift that took place. Something happened where Leah saw all this and saw through it and realized what she was doing and realized, you know what? I don't need to earn his love. It's not him that's going to provide me significance. It's not him that's going to provide my sense of self-worth. And Judah's name literally means to praise. It means that her struggle during this whole time, she finally found her identity through the acceptance through, through uh, or I should say, this whole struggle with trying to find her acceptance through Jacob ceased, it ended, and she looks to God and she says, this time I will praise the Lord. You know, I wonder if there's some of us in here this morning that ha- could, could really relate with this to say, you know what, I have been looking towards something or someone else to find this same type of exi- my existence and it's just not working. It's just not working. It's, I'm coming up empty. I am struggling. I am trying to perform. I'm trying to do everything that this person wants me to do just so that I can feel accepted. And it's, I'm coming up empty every single time. There is, and in addition to this, there is something that's really interesting about this last son of Leah's, uh, Judah's line of descendancy, because God chose Judah to bring his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, through through. Uh, uh, his lineage. So essentially, what has taken place here is the one who was despised and rejected, from whom men hid their faces, God looked and found favor. Isn't that amazing? 
Here Leah was looking for Jacob to find that, and finally she comes to her senses and realizes, you know what? It's not about Jacob. This is, you know, I'm going to praise God. And through that, she was able to find her sense of self-worth, her dignity, everything that only God can give us and not man. But she finally found it uh, through, uh, or, or God gives it, looks upon her, looks at her son Judah, and, and brings Jesus Christ through the lineage of Judah. What an incredible story. That's exactly what happens when we finally realize that, that what we've placed on a pedestal, what we've placed as an idol within our lives, what we think is going to bring us uh, the, the, uh, whatever it may be, the, the, and it never happens when we finally realize that and say, you know what, I'm done with worshiping this idol. I'm not going to allow this to be seated on the throne of my heart, whether it be possessions, whether it be a person, whether it be a relationship, whether it be money, whether it be, uh, it could be a good thing, it could be my successes, my knowledge, whatever it is. Once we come to that realization and allow the Spirit of God to connect with ours to say, you've got something in your life, that you've got placed in a situation that it can't produce what you think it can produce. You're looking at something that, that can't produce what only God can produce, and you're giving it God-like attributes. And when we finally allow the Spirit to connect with ours, and to say, you know what? God, help me dethrone this. God, I'm going to allow you to come into my life and literally dethrone this so that you can be seated on the throne of my heart. That is when we are able to, to have all of our needs met that the, and become the person that God has truly created us to be. The one who was despised and rejected, the one from, you know, uh, from, from whom men hid their faces, Leah finally finds her self-worth, her significance, her sustenance in life. And yet generations later, the prophet Isaiah would write uh, about this Jesus that would kind of be the same way. It says, he said, for he grew up like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or, or majesty that we should look at. We should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men had their faces. He was despised or hid their faces and he was despised and we esteemed him not. Guys, I don't know where you are in this this whole series, I don't know where you are in this whole concept of, of idol worship, whether you've got some stuff in your life that's pretty blatant, I mean pretty blatant at idols. Maybe they're not so blatant, maybe, you've, maybe you just, you've been deceived and you've got some things within your life that you're looking to uh, and, and, and it's not producing and, and I pray that this would be the day that you would look at it and say, you know what, I'm done with this. Today's the day I'm going to praise the Lord. Today's the day that I'm going to, to allow God to dethrone whatever it is on the, on the throne of my heart and allow Him to be seated upon the throne of my heart and follow Him with everything I have. And again, as we've said before, that is when we start becoming the person that's living out of our God-created identity and being the person that God has, has created us to be from the very beginning. I pray, that, again, that you would just allow the Spirit to connect with yours. Uh, I pray that you would just open your hearts to Him, allow his, that your hearts would, would uh, uh, be found sensitive towards the Spirit, and allow God to just uh, illuminate those areas uh, that, that He wants to root out within your, within your hearts. Uh, I, just, uh, why don't we stand and let me close with a word of prayer. Just asking God to uh, continue to bless our time and, and continue to... 
enable us to dwell upon these thoughts. God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the words that you have for us today. And I thank you that as we can look to your, to your, uh, into the Word, uh, we can find hope. God, we can find courage. We can find strength. And so uh, this morning, God, I just pray again for your anointing upon uh, the hearts of everyone here. I pray that uh, your Spirit would find our hearts in a state of sensitivity and vulnerability and transparency. I pray that we would uh, invite you in um, to the recesses of our hearts, God, to take a critical look at what we may have sitting uh, on the throne of our hearts. And God, if we have placed idols there, I pray that you would give us the uh, strength and the courage to turn it over to you and to allow you to replace those things and dethrone the things that don't belong there. God, just uh, anoint our thinking this week. Help us to spend time contemplating on the words that we've heard today. Help us to spend time in, in, in your word, just uh, becoming more intimate with you, God. And we ask all this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.